Um, I am really excited to be with you. I love being a part of a G2 city. Um, and I'm really looking forward to um, diving into the story of Jonah. Um, <laughs> um, I believe God, God has stuff that he wants to say to each and every one of us. I believe God is in the business of loving us and saving us and restoring us and teaching us and changing us. So uh, I'm looking forward to this. Um, as Eddie mentioned, I have the privilege of heading up the kids, only the kids. Um, I don't do the youth. Sarah and Paul do an amazing job of that um, at Burnham. And I thought I'd let them kick off this talk for us. So let's have a watch. He's like a, he could be like a man or he could be an animal. Mm, big? No, not big. Not big, better word for big. Ginormous. He made us. He's awesome, he's good, he's cool. He's amazing and yeah. Uh, he can be bigger, he can be bigger than the, he can be bigger than all of our universe. Come to church and learn about God. You don't have to go to church. You'd have to come to church. Uh, you don't really have to do anything. Firstly, I think you should maybe get a Bible so you could read a little bit about him before you decide. You have to follow Jesus and God and um, worship him. Tell God. I am your servant. I am here for you, Lord. They are brilliant. Um, so, um, tell me about God. They have a little bit of confusion. God is an animal. God is cool. I like that. The consensus was God is cool. Um, and how do you become a Christian? What do you have to do? Some clearly you do have to come to church. You don't have to come to church. So, um, they're kind of, you know, sort of thinking it through. I wonder if we can do any better. Um, so the first question, you can chat to the person next to you. Finish the sentence. God is. So second question. We'll do it together. How do you become a Christian? What do you have to do? Any ideas? Get baptized. Nothing else to become a Christian. <laughs> do you have to go to church? The kids weren't sure on that one. Neither are we. What, what do you have to do to become a Christian? Repent? Okay, so we know there is a message. There is an answer to this question, or the two questions. And we, we kind of know it's important. Um, and we kind of know we should share it and tell our friends and family. And we can probably agree there's some common stuff. But just like the kids, I think we're not actually crystal clear. And when we put on the spot, we're like, mm, ah, well, we might squeeze out God loves you. And then we kind of go, I don't know. So here's what I want to explore through the book of Jonah. What's our clear message? Because Jonah had a crystal clear message from God. So I wonder what God's going to say to us now. Are you listening? Are you ready to be changed? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God of love. And we want to hear what you have to say to each and every one of us now. I pray that you'll help us to do that. And boldly, I pray that you change every single one of us in the way that you want us to be changed. Amen. 
So if you haven't been journeying with us on the series of Jonah, welcome to it. This is number three in uh, four. So first of all, Mike talked to us about how we all run away from God in big stuff and small stuff. And Christian talked to us about, talked to us about how repentance works, changing direction. So we're going to travel back in time to the place and culture of this story because you need to hold some key information because it helps the rest of it make sense. So Nineveh is a city and it existed some two and a half thousand years ago in modern day Iraq and it is massive and the Bible tells us it takes three days to walk across. So to give us some context, I did some quick googling. So York... (laughs) It only takes, surprisingly, just under three hours to walk from Cotmanthorpe up to the top. So that's not really big enough. So the next, I tried Birmingham. To walk all the way from the top all the way up to the bottom, it's only 20 miles, and it'd take just under seven hours. So that's like a day. So bigger, I went to, I went to London. Woking up to Epping. Hmm. Really, it's only a couple of days' walk. It might be three for some of us. So I was like... Okay, Nineveh was actually massive. And Nineveh was the biggest city around for some 50 years. So we need to hold that. Nineveh was absolutely massive. And the other thing we need to remember is Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were horrific. They were massively barbaric. They had incredible chariots and iron weapons that were bigger and worse than anything else around them. They were a warrior society. It was a do or die. They were fighting from morning, noon, and night. They literally conquered and conquered and conquered and conquered. They didn't know God. They didn't know right from wrong. They were ridiculously bloodthirsty. So think mass killings, forced relocations, torture, military invasions, exterminations, looting, rape, murder, genocide. You did not want the Assyrians to come to a place where you lived. They were known for such things as when they invaded a community, they'd round up the women and children, chop their heads off, burn the bodies, and put all the heads in a pyramid. This sums up how brutal they were. So we need to understand they were horrifically big and horrifically nasty. And Jonah, the main guy in our story, was an Israelite. And unsurprisingly, the Assyrians had attacked and nearly wiped out the Israelites. So Jonah's people, the Israelites, did not like the Assyrians, and with good reason. So Nineveh, really, really big and unbelievably bad. So when in chapter 1, God says, Jonah, could you go to Nineveh? We have some understanding. Why He's like, no, they will kill me and torture me, or torture me and kill me. But... Probably both. Although Jonah actually wasn't that bothered because he was scared, he thought Nineveh was beyond saving. They were so evil that not even God could save them. So when in when chapter in chapter one God gives the clear message, Jonah ignores them, big style. But God continues to work in Jonah's life because he loves Jonah and he loves the Ninevites through the storm, through the sailors, and through a fish. And Jonah is beginning to change. He'd started to repent. So, we're going to jump into Jonah's story. We'll catch up with him. He's probably, possibly, still wet and stinky from being spat out from the fish. Don't turn to your Bibles. I want to read it on the screen together because I've taken some bits out. 
So. <laughs> then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So the Ninevites, something, and when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he, I know some of you know where this goes, but don't say. So, I love it. This is such a clear message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words in the English. 14 in the Greek, if, that, if you're a Bible nerd. And I don't know how to say it. So, what do you think happened next? Did they listen? Did they ignore it? Option one. Don't be ridiculous, Jonah. We're the biggest, we're the best. Torture and kill him. Option two. Do the people of Nineveh go, Jonah might have a point. Yeah, we think he's right. But they don't actually do anything, which even though they say he might be right and they talk about it and gossip about it, they don't do anything. So really, they don't believe his message because there's no change. Or option three. Do the people of Nineveh say, yeah, we believe Jonah's message and we're going to act on it as a result. We believe it would happen, so we're going to bolster our army. We'll get ammunition production up. We're going to increase weapons. We're going to put the defences on high alert. We will not let this happen to us. We are the biggest around here. Forewarned is forearmed. We will be ready to give them the fight of their lives. Let's find out what happened. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Now, if you don't know this story, I find that quite unusual. So a fast is when we give something up, usually food, in order to focus on God for a short period of time or a longer period of time, it's kind of an expression of grief or a humbling ourselves. And sackcloth was itchy, nasty goat hair. And it was really uncomfortable. And kings do not put on sackcloth, least of all the king of Nineveh. And the kings do not sit on the ground in the dust. This was not what anybody, including Jonah, would have predicted. And I love the rest of the chapter, which I'll paraphrase. The king sends out a decree, not only from the greatest to the least, the animals got to fast as well. Everybody put on sackcloth. This was a whole scale, massive. This is the biggest city for some 50 years. Every single one of them, 120,000 people, go, we've messed up. We're going to stop. We're going to focus on God and we're going to change. All from, what was it, eight words? Amazing. And the king says, we are going to cry mightily to God that we will all turn from our evil ways and from the violence that we've done. I love it. Option four is amazing. I do wonder if the Assyrians had began to realize that all their conquering and killing and murdering and, and evil was beginning to, to feel not right. Now they began to realize that that wasn't bringing them true joy. 
I wonder if they've begun to start questioning the wisdom of destroying pretty much everything around them. I wonder if the real cost of doing that evil was beginning to take its toll. And stepping away from the Bible story for our, into our lives, I wonder if, just like maybe for us, excessive drinking, watching pornography, serial dating, the constant pressure of looking good on Instagram, of having the perfect social image, of being seen with the right people, has begun to show its true colors in our lives. The realization that the shiny promises these things offer, you know, they will make us happy and likable and lovable, are beginning to show that they're all lies. And these things trap us and cause us massive amounts of pain, huge amounts of shame, and actually take us away from the love and connection that we're so meant to have. That's just my wonderings about the Assyrians. But God, in his infinite wisdom, was bang on with his message that he sent through Jonah. So how do you find God's message? Ninevites, sort yourselves out, I'm going to destroy you. Is God a bit mean? Is God a bit harsh? I think you might be able to relate with God a bit more than perhaps you realize. Stay with me. So, hopefully, my two beautiful children, there they are, <laughs> and what you need to know about them is they are obsessed with sport. Um, apart from eating, sleeping, and school, they are basically playing sport, and football in particular. Um, we've been places and we've not taken a ball with us, and in the absence of a ball, they, one of them will take their shoe off and they will play football with that. <laughs> they are obsessed with football. And like all siblings, they argue and disagree sometimes. So, a few weeks ago, we are at home, and surprise, surprise, they're playing football. Indoor football has a few rules, but I won't bore you with those details. Anyway, <laughs> I'm in the kitchen, and I hear one almighty thud, and I'm like, what's that? So I go in to investigate. Now, what you need to know is, and I literally scooped up all the ball, balls that sit under the skirting board in our house, is we've got that one, and that one, and that one, and that one, and there's that one, and there's that one, and there's that one. And that's not all of them. So, but what I'd heard was this. Ricochet off the radiator. Now, you can imagine, I have some concerns about what might happen next. They're not likely to stop playing football, and they are playing with what is a baseball. So, <laughs> I'm thinking, what could happen next? They could damage the TV, they could hurt each other if they kick it properly at each other, and um, they're more than likely to send it over the table, because that's one of the goalposts, and I happen to have a vase of flowers on there, so that means vase of flowers spilled, glass broken, water everywhere, sad children, sad mummy. Where it was going was not good. And similarly, when I hear them disagreeing, sometimes it escalates, and it kind of the volume goes up, and they really start arguing with each other. And the words get mean and nasty. And then there's a bit of name-calling, and then they get really angry with each other, and then they start shouting. And again, I've got big concerns about what's going to happen next. They're likely, in a very short space of time, to lamp each other. And then that escalates, because neither of them will back down, so they then start hitting each other in their attempt to solve it. It escalates the frustration. It doesn't go well. So in these two situations, the hard football and them starting to annoy each other, what do I do? 
I'm going to step in because they're not going to change their course of action on their own. So I say, usually in a calm voice, but not always, parenting is hard. <laughs> Boys, if you carry on playing football with that, then I'll have to take it off you and you'll need five minutes time out. Or if you carry on hitting your brother, either of you, then you'll lose screen, screen time for a week. I intervene. I give them a warning of something I'm prepared to do. My proposed interventions about what I am going to do, they're not pleasurable to my boys. And I am going to act and do something to them that doesn't make them smile and doesn't make them happy. It's a tangible consequence. It's a disincentive. But it's much less harmful than if they carry on playing football with that or they carry on thumping each other. And I'm pretty sure going back to our Bible, those who lived around the Assyrian Empire who knew the Ninevites would be desperate for God to intervene. If they knew God, the Israelites, they would have been praying to God, will you stop the Ninevites? They are the biggest and the worst, and they are awful. Please, will you do something, God? So God gives the Ninevites a really clear message. Stop doing this, or I will do this. It's worth sharing that my children, judging from their reaction when I say, you'll have to stop playing football or I'm going to take your screen time off you, they would think I've just promised to burn them alive. <laughs> they don't like it when I say I'm going to do these things because they know I'll carry them out. And according to them, it may have been said, I am the worst mother ever. <laughs> However, if you chat with them afterwards when they're a bit calmer, they will tell you that they understand why I'm stepping in. They don't like it, but they know I'm helping them to recognize what they're doing needs to change. So do you see the parallels, God as parent? The Ninevites are unbelievably evil, killing and destroying thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And God intervenes clearly, and he gives them an opportunity to change. He doesn't just walk in and wipe them out. God is a loving parent with a clear message that is just right for the Ninevites. And it's truly life-changing. All of them got it from the king down to the lowest, and they all changed. It's incredible. So how does the story of Jonah relate to us today? You know, when we're at home or at uni or in the pub or in the lecture hall or in the lab or on the bus or on the way to work or school or our job... I am not suggesting you take the message literally and tell all your friends, stop what you're doing or God's going to destroy you. There are lots of ideas and models and ways of explaining the Christian faith. And there's one model that I see God using and I find it really simple, really effective and really helpful. And it's called the four points. So it's simply a heart... A cross like when you've made a mistake on your exam. The Jesus cross, as my kids call it. And the question mark. All you've got to remember is four things. It's brilliant. So the first one, love. Now, I don't know when you hear God loves me what your primary experiences of love are. So I don't know how you were parented. And I don't know who parented you. It might have been really good or it might have been awful. 
But I want to tell you that God loves us in the most perfect way. So all, the, all your best understanding of love is like God then times a million. So God loves me. God loves you. And that's the bit where I write sharing sometimes. But there's three more points we need to learn. So the next one. I have sinned. Sin's a funny word. It's basically mistrusting God's goodness. And we, like Jonah, don't believe deep down that God has our best interests at heart. We refuse to believe that God is more dedicated to our good and more aware of our good than we are. We distrust God because we assume that if we give our lives to him, we'll be miserable. And ultimately, sin brings death. So we ignore God and we run away and we do our own thing. So the third point, Jesus died for me. This is the problem followed by the solution. When Jesus died and rose again, something fundamentally changed. Something new and amazing happened. Our sin and the consequences of our sin and the course of where we were going got changed. A new ending was made possible. And the last point, I need to decide to live for God. Now, in all honesty, I never get that last bit right. <laughs> I just remember I've got a choice. Um, But it's really simple. We've got a choice. And we make that choice daily. Sometimes we make it for the first time. And we say for the first time, okay, God, I'm on board. I want you in my life and I want to follow you. And most days we make that choice. So for me, this model captures a really clear and simple way of expressing my faith. And it's important that we know all of it. Because what we often do is we only tell the first bit. So you can spot which one, which one Jonah gave from God to the Ninevites, can't you? Point number two, Ninevites, you're messing up, stop. That's all well and good, Fiona, I hear you say. I get it, four points, pictures, I, I know that, but... In all honesty, I'm not good enough to share God's message. You know, my life isn't sorted. I'm not very good at praying every day, and I can't tell you the last time I read my Bible. I'm not good enough to share this message. See Jonah. He messed up big style, and God still loves him and still uses him. God said go. Jonah said nope. God said go east. He went west. God said go over land. Jonah got in a boat. 120,000 people got to experience the love of God because Jonah eventually did what God want, wanted and they got to be saved. None of us here are sorted. Every single one of us messes up. We are still living and learning this message together. Perfection is not required to experience and share God's love. And the Bible is littered with broken people messing up beautifully, but God loves them and transforms them, and through them and with them transforms the lives of people around him. So let me reassure you, you are 100% ready right now. 
Yes, Fiona, but you know, it's not really that important. I've got other things to do with my time. Well, my relationship with Jesus has been massively impacted by key people who've taken the time to show me, pray that for me, and share it with me. David and Laura, who got baptised recently at G2, will tell you about specific people who talk to them about this with them. And there's a guy I know who was at work, and one of his colleagues came up to him and said, why are you always so happy? And he literally said, I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Bold. That person went on to do an alpha course and renewed her commitment to Jesus. So it is really important because it could be and will be life-changing for all the people you share it with. You might not get to see the results, but you will be another, another step on their journey. I can still hear some of you saying, okay, I get it, but actually I'm scared. Me too. I know this, but I struggle with it. I still get that <gasps> deep breath moment when I have to decide, am I going to share it or not? What might people say? They might say, you're off your rocker. They might say, mm, interesting, let's go. Will they kill you? Not in this country. What do you do when you disagree about what pizza to order? What do you do when you disagree about which pub or club to go to? They don't walk out. So I'm pretty sure your friends, if they're good friends or even half good friends, will be prepared to listen to us. And you know what? They might say yes. They might say, I've been wondering about this Jesus person. They might say, do you know you're the third person this week who's talked to me about what sin means and, and, and what happens next? Yeah, do you know what? I've just, I just happen to be reading a Bible and I don't understand it. Can I come to church with you? To quote a wise lady I know, she said, do not say their no for them. And it's not our responsibility to convert people. It is entirely their choice. We're not in the business of forcing or coercing people. This is my story. This is your story. You can tell it. God does the business of working in people's lives. So you are good enough to share the message. It is important. And yes, it's scary, but it's really important that we do it. So should we practice? Because then we'll be even more confident when we walk out of here this week to share these four points.